Encyclical Letter Victum Anobis On the Church in Austria by Pope Pius Ninth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Encyclical of Our Most Holy Father, Pius Ninth, to the Cardinals, Archbishops, and Bishops of the Austrian Empire. Dear Sons and Venerable Brethren, Health and Apostolic Benediction. Scarcely had we, in our letter of the 24th of November, in last year, announced to the Catholic world the grievous persecution which had been commenced against the Church in Prussia and in Switzerland, when a fresh trouble was prepared for us by the news of other wrongs threatening the Church, which, like her divine spouse, may every day breathe forth that complaint, ye have added yet more to the pain of my wounds. And these wrongs trouble us all the more, inasmuch as they are inflicted by the government of the Austrian nation, which, during the great epochs of Christian states, contended valorously for the Catholic faith in the closest alliance with this holy see. It is true that, a few years hence, there were issued, in that monarchy, decrees in contradiction with the most sacred rites of the Church, and with treaties solemnly concluded, decrees which we, in conformity with our duty, had to condemn and declare to be null and void, as we did in our allocution of June the 22nd, 1868, addressed to our venerable brothers, the Cardinals of the Holy Roman Church. But today there are presented for the approbation of the Reichsrat new laws tending openly to bring the Catholic Church into most pernicious slavery to the arbitrary will of the secular power, contrary to the divine ordinance of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the Creator and Redeemer of the human race assuredly founded His Church as a visible kingdom on earth, and He not only endowed it with the supernatural gift of an infallible teaching for the propagation of holy doctrine, and with the priesthood for the divine service and sanctification of souls by the sacrifice and the sacraments, but he also gave to it a proper and plenary power to legislate, to judge, and to exercise a salutary constraint in all things which stand in relation to the real aim and end of the kingdom of God upon earth. Now, forasmuch as this supernatural power of ecclesiastical government being based on the ordinance of Jesus Christ, is equally distinct from and independent of the secular dominion, this kingdom of God on earth is a kingdom of a perfect society, self-regulating and self-governing, according to its own laws and its own jurisprudence, by its own rulers, who watch to render an account of souls, not to the secular sovereign, but to the Prince of Pastors, Jesus Christ, he instituted the pastors and teachers, and they, in their spiritual charge, are not subject to any secular authority. Therefore the sacred rulers are in duty bound to rule, and therefore it is the laity's duty, according to the precept of the apostle, to obey them and to be subject to them. And therefore the Catholic people have the sacred right not to be impeded by the civil government in the exercise of that their divinely ordered and sacred duty of obeying the Church's doctrine, discipline, and laws. Dear sons and venerable brothers, 
you recognize with us that the text of the laws now under consideration in the Reichsrat of Austria involves and exhibits a grave violation of that divine constitution of the Church and an intolerable subversion of the rights of the Apostolic See, of the Holy Canons, and of all Catholic people. In fact, by virtue of these laws, the Church of Christ, in almost all her relations with and acts in reference to the faithful, is judged and considered as in complete subordination and subjection to the superior authority of the secular power. And this is openly stated, and, so to speak, asserted as a principle in the preamble in which the object and intention of the new laws is set forth. It is also expressly declared that the secular government, in virtue of its unlimited power, possesses the right of making laws as well upon ecclesiastical as upon secular questions, and of watching and ruling over the Church as over all the mere human societies that exist within the Empire. Accordingly, the secular government arrogates to itself the right of judging and teaching above the constitution and rights of the Catholic Church and above her high superior direction, and it exercises the same partly by its laws and by its acts, and partly by different ecclesiastical persons. From thence it follows that the will and power of the civil government take the place of the religious authority established by divine ordinance for the direction of the Church and the edification of the body of Christ. Against such usurpation of the sanctuary, the great St. Ambrose has well said, They tell us that Caesar can do all things, and that everything appertains to him. But go not so far as to imagine that thou possessest imperial rights over that which is consecrated to God. Exalt not thyself, but submit thyself to God. It is written, That which is God's belongeth unto God, and that which is Caesar's to Caesar. To the emperor belong the palaces, to the priest the churches. Moreover, as to these new laws, and the preamble of grounds for their enactment, they are, in truth, of the same nature and the same character as the Prussian laws, and they are pregnant with the same evils to the Church Catholic in the Austrian Empire, although at first sight they may appear moderate as compared with the Prussian laws. We do not mean to examine each article of these laws in detail, but we can by no means pass over in silence the cruel offence already offered to us and to this apostolic see, as also to yourselves, dearly beloved sons and venerable brothers, and to the whole Catholic people of that empire by the presentation of such laws. The Concordat, concluded in the year 1855, between us and the illustrious Emperor, confirmed by that same Catholic monarch with a solemn promise, and promulgated throughout the whole empire as a law of the empire, is now brought before the Chamber of Deputies with a declaration that it is completely invalidated and annulled without any previous negotiation with the Apostolic See, nay, more with public slight of our most just representations. Would they ever have dared publicly to do such a thing in those days when the faith was held in esteem? But now, at this sad epoch, men undertake and men carry into execution. Once more, well-beloved sons and venerable brothers, do we protest before you against this public violation of the Concordat. 
and we do the more severely blame this outrage committed against the church, inasmuch as it is the definition of the teachings of the faith, as published and confirmed by the Ecumenical Council of the Vatican, that is insidiously put forward as the cause and the pretext of the breaking of the concordat and of the other laws connected therewith. Those Catholic dogmas are impiously styled novelties and changes in the articles of the faith and in the constitution of the church. There may be a few persons in the Austrian Empire who reject the Catholic faith for these unworthy inventions, but the illustrious monarch of that empire, with the whole of the imperial family, hold and profess it. The immense majority of the people hold and profess it, and it is on such a people that laws are about to be imposed which are based on inventions such as these. Thus, without our knowledge or consent, the conventions which we had concluded with the most noble emperor, in the interest of the salvation of souls and for the advantage of the state, has been torn up. A new form of right has been put forward as a pretext, and a new power has been conferred on the civil government, in order to authorise it to put its hand on things ecclesiastical, and to order and arrange the affairs of the church at its own discretion. With these projected laws, the way is now open to bind with heavy chains and to paralyse the inviolable liberty of the church in the tenure and administration of her property for the salvation of souls, for the government of the faithful, for the religious direction of the laity and of the clergy, for the promotion of Christian life towards evangelical perfection. Perversion of discipline is being introduced, favour is shown to apostasy, sects are encouraged to unite and conspire under the protection and safeguard of the laws against the true doctrines of Christianity. In reality, a great task would be incumbent upon us were we to undertake to mention the nature and number of the evils which are to be apprehended so soon as these laws shall come into force. But, dear sons and venerable brothers, it is impossible that they can deceive you or elude your sagacity, for almost all functions and benefices ecclesiastical, and even the discharge of pastoral duties, are hereby placed in such subjection to the secular government that the prelates of the church, supposing that they submit themselves to these new regulations, which is far from being possible, would no longer be able to administer according to the salutary regulations of the church those dioceses for which they must render a strict account to God, but they would be compelled to discharge those duties and even to retain them at the dictation and arbitrary will of those who are at the head of the state. Furthermore, what can be expected of those projects of law which are entitled Touching Religious Communities? Their fatal bearing in their hostile intent are so evident that no one can misapprehend the truth that they are contrived and framed for the destruction and ruin of the religious orders. Finally, the danger threatening the total loss of their property is so great as to be scarcely distinguishable from a public sale and squandering. Notably, the government will place all that landed property at its own disposal, according to the regulations of the new Act, and will assume the right and power of partitioning the said property, letting it on lease, and paring it down by taxation, until a miserable income and benefit remaining from it to the religious, will be with reason regarded not as an honour to the church, but as a cloak to cover robbery and wrong. 
Dear sons and venerable brethren, as the laws which the Chamber of Deputies of the Austrian Reichsrat is now discussing are framed with the intent and based on the principles which we have now stated, you doubtless see clearly the dangers that now threaten the flock entrusted to your watchfulness. Evidently, the unity and peace of the church are placed in hazard, and men are striving to wrest from the church that liberty which St. Thomas of Canterbury well called the soul of the church, without which she has no strength against those who endeavour to usurp the possession of the sanctuary of God. This expression has been explained by another invincible defender of the same liberty, St. Anselm, in the following terms. God loves nothing in this world so much as the liberty of the church. Let those who would rather tyrannise over the church than serve her consider themselves as without doubt the enemies of God. God wills his spouse to be free and not in servitude. This is why we stir up and enkindle your pastoral vigilance and the zeal with which you are animated for the house of the Lord, in order that you may struggle to escape the danger that is approaching you. Take great courage to sustain the conflict in a manner worthy of your virtue. We, on our part, are assured that you will not do less, either in courage or in energy, than those honoured brethren who elsewhere, amidst the most bitter persecution, have become, in the midst of obloquy and persecution, a spectacle, while they endure with joy for the Church's liberty, not only the spoiling of their goods, but even in bonds sustain the conflict of suffering. Finally, all our hopes are placed in God, not in our own strength. The cause at stake is the cause of God, who by his word, that cannot fail, has given us that warning and instruction. In the world ye shall have persecutions, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We then, who in virtue of our apostolic charge, in which the grace of God strengthens our weakness, have been placed in the post of leader during this war now waged against the church, a bitter war, and one full of sad incidents. We say and quote to ourselves what St. Thomas of Canterbury long ago expressed in the following terms, which suit admirably our own days and our own dangers. The conflict which the enemies of God wage against us is a conflict between them and God. Let us, therefore, desire of them nothing else than that which the eternal God, when he became flesh for his church, left to her in his everlasting covenant. Lift up yourselves, then, with us in faith and in the love of Christ for the protection of the church, and with the authority and wisdom with which you are endowed, come to the assistance of mankind, for no earthly good can be sufficient for them so long as the church of God enjoys not her liberty. We have the more confidence in you inasmuch as the cause at stake is the cause of God. As far as concerns ourselves, be assured that we very much prefer to suffer temporal death than to put on the badges of a sorrowful servitude. The issue of this conflict has this significance for posterity, that the church is ever afflicted. No, God preserve her from that, but that she ever rejoices in her own liberty. But, as you have to bend all your efforts to anticipate, by your authority, your wisdom, and your zeal, the dangers that threaten you, 
you will recognize that nothing could be more opportune and more useful than to deliberate in common counsel what are the best means of attaining most certainly and most effectually the desired object. So long as men attack the church's rights, it is our duty to protect the faithful. But the wall of defense will be so much the more secure and the defense itself so much the more powerful as your efforts shall be more unanimous and more adapted to the end and as the measures demanded by the situation shall be framed and carried out with greater zeal. That is why we exhort you to meet as soon as possible, and after deliberation in common, to fix on a line of conduct decided and approved by all, such as may enable you, conformably with your official duty, to combat with common accord the evils that threaten and energetically defend the liberty of the Church. Our exhortation is necessary in order that we may not appear to have neglected our duty in a question of such importance. For we are convinced that even without such exhortation you would have discharged your duty. Also, we have not yet resigned the hope that God will turn away the existing evils. That which encourages this hope is the devotion and faith of our well-beloved Son in Christ, the Emperor and King, Francis Joseph, whom we have earnestly adjured in our new letter of this day, never to tolerate in his vast empire that the church should be subjected to an ignominious enslavement and his Catholic subjects to the greatest of afflictions. But as the number of the church's assailants is great and every assault is eminently dangerous, you can at least persevere calmly. May God vouchsafe to guide your decisions and support you by his powerful protection to the end that you may be able happily to resolve on and to carry into operation all that conduces to the glory of his name and the salvation of souls. As the sign of that divine protection and of our special goodwill, we affectionately accord to all and to each of you, dear sons and venerable brothers, as also to the clergy and faithful entrusted to your vigilance, our apostolic benediction. Given at Rome, at St. Peter's, this seventh day of March, in the year 1874, in the 28th year of our pontificate. Pope Pius IX End of encyclical letter Vix Dum Anobis On the Church in Austria By Pope Pius IX Recording by Algie Pug